Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Do you know what a gift it is to have that piano played like that? Thank you very much. I mean, just to press a key, there is a way of pressing down a key that if you don't play the piano, it's just plonk. But if you do, it's melodious. Thank you very much. And for Michael, who led us in singing, and Jamie, who's got the sound back there, as well as Pastor Barry, who's struggling with his voice, why don't you say thank you for them being here to lead us in worship? Well, let's pray together. Lord, it is so good to say thank you. It kind of completes the circle of gratitude. And so we come to say thank you to you this morning, the celebration of the birthday, Father, of your Son, your gift to the world, a gift of love, a gift that was planned, a gift that absolutely amazes and astonishes us, a gift that brings joy, a gift that humbles us, a gift that challenges us. No mere birthday gift. Thank you for the gift of your Son, your Holy One. And thank you, Lord Jesus, you the centerpiece of this celebration as you walk amongst us now. The same Lord who was birthed in Bethlehem, born under such humiliating, humbling circumstances, and yet born with the glory of the angelic host declaring your presence and the grand miracle of your appearance here on earth. As we consider this all together, Lord, please take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, if you look in your service sheet, you see there that we do have this Matthew passage written out for you. And I want to take you through this all too briefly. But dealing with the significant titles given to Jesus by which to unfold the event of his coming. So as you're looking at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, 
It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Now, there you've got the name Jesus, and we'll return to that in just a moment. But the additional descriptor of Christ, Jesus is his name, Christ his title. Messiah is actually what it should be translated, except coming out of the Greek, Christos, it says Christ. But out of the Hebrew, it's the anointed one. And what you have in that word Christ, Christos, or the anointed one, is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's associated with the promise of God to send one who would become his messenger and transforming presence in this world. In fact, if you look toward the end of this reading, verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And it quotes the prophet. And they're quoting the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah was writing and acting out his prophetic ministry in the 8th century BC. That's the 700s. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, where it describes his calling in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord, and that became his calling to ministry. Well, the year that King Uzziah died was 740 BC. So here is Isaiah the prophet being quoted from the 700s BC, the 8th century BC, concerning Jesus being born of a virgin. So just the prophecy itself and the fulfillment of that, all wrapped up, in a sense, in the name Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One. That in and of itself is a miracle. What we're going to consider together here is, are a series of miracles. The clear grand miracle is Jesus, born of a virgin. That's a miracle. But God himself taking on flesh, becoming incarnate, that's a miracle. But it being prophesied 700 years beforehand, amongst other prophecies that are absolutely startling, time does not allow us the indulgence of really examining what I've just said concerning prophecy. But let me give you some shorthand, clear indicators as how miraculous it all is. There are some 330 prophecies in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus coming. Some of them are major prophecies, like being born of a virgin. I don't know where you would place the prophecy of his coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the foal of an ass. 
I put that as a mini miracle. In Psalm 22, where it speaks of his execution, gambling for his garments, his hands and feet pierced. It's that clear, that graphic. I'd say that's major. Gambling for his garments. I don't want to be the one defining what is major or minor by way of prophecies. But all told, 330. And that those 330 should happen to one man in one brief period of time, his 33 years here on earth, fulfilling the 330 prophecies in his lifetime. One man, a Professor Stoner, who himself is a statistician, working with a team of students, drew this conclusion that for one man to fulfill only 16 of those 330 prophecies, just 16 of them, in his lifetime, that one man's, would be the odds against it of one in 10 to the 13th power. To give you a graphic picture of what that looks like, it's like taking silver dollars and scattering them across Texas to a depth of two feet. Texas is huge. In fact, one Texan, a tech, I don't know if any of you here are from Texas, but all Texans seem to brag about Texas. <laughs> they don't mess with Texas. I mean, they are proud of being Texans. And I've been there and I don't know where, the, I don't know why, <laughs> except it is vast. And one uh, Texan rancher was bragging at a gathering of farmers in Chicago, and he's saying, I, I, I'd love to be able to speak American, but this Englishman is going to talk like I talk. But, the, 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 but you'll hear the Texan in this. He was saying that his ranch, why? When he gets in his vehicle, he was bragging to some Amish farmer. He said, when I get in my truck, he said, I can drive for three days and not get to the end of my ranch. Well, this Amish farmer said, you know, he said, I only drive a donkey, horse. He said, but I have a friend who has a tractor just like that. I.e., the problem was with the tractor. <laughs> Come on, wake up here, get, get with the program. <laughs> Texas covered to two feet of silver dollars, and you take one, and you mark it, and drop it somewhere in Texas. And then you send somebody out to go find it, and he picks up that one out of all the dollars that are there. That, roughly speaking, is one in 10 to the 13th power of odds against it ever happening. And that's only 16 prophecies. 
and there are 330, as scholars have judged it, fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament in Jesus. So therein is a miracle. It's extraordinary. And I have known of people who have come to a living faith in Jesus, and maybe one of you is here this morning, because the odds are so extraordinary that if you take, and we know and date the Old Testament prophecies, and they that have been decided upon are so clearly pointing to Jesus, and that he in his lifetime of only 33 years should fulfill them all, is absolutely overwhelmingly extraordinary, a miracle. Well, to move on with the text, because, verse 19, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You can see what was going on there. He was married to a woman he had not had sex with. He was engaged, betrothed, and again, the circumstances of circumstances of that in that period of Israel, no time to explain. But that he then had a wife who was now pregnant, and he was not the father of that child via the sexual process, meant that he had a woman who'd been unfaithful to him, and thereby he was going to discard her. But being the gentleman he was, he didn't want to make a public disgrace of her. So he decided to do so quietly. But what happened? As he considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then the angel goes on to say this, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So now we do come to the name Jesus, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. But Joseph is told to take Mary that the child within her has been supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you are to give that child the name Jesus. So the assumption of the angel is this, that he will, Joseph will, be obedient. He will have the trust in that revelation to him to take Mary to be his wife, knowing that the child was not his, but trusting that the child was born of the Holy Spirit. Yet, the grand miracle, but in that naming the baby, Jesus, is the reason for that grand miracle. Because the name Jesus literally means God saves, in a sense, it's like calling him Savior. You will call his name Jesus, Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. And wrapped up in the a miracle 
of his virgin birth, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Let's make no bones about it. The Christian faith is about the miraculous. Too often we as humans try to intellectualize our way around the miracles so that we do away with the miracles and give some kind of human explanation of what we're hearing or reading or seeing in the Bible. There is no way to take Christianity and the faith at the core of that, namely in Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, Christianity, all about him. There is no way to take that seriously and not recognize that it all has to do with God outside of time, in eternity, invading time, coming from another whole world that we don't understand or see, beyond human experience, invading us in our time and space continuum, and coming to live amongst us, evidencing who he is, not just because you have an angelic host meeting some shepherds and saying, to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You're going to find that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the shepherds took off and found it just as the angels had said. Another miraculous scene. But the miracle of Jesus' life, the humility of Jesus, with the grand and mighty power of Jesus, are like, humanly speaking, irreconcilable characteristics. The things that Jesus said about himself are extraordinary. Just to take the I am statements, as they are called in John's Gospel. I am the light of the world. Who says something like that? If I were to say that, you'd say I was demented. I am the light of the world. He goes on to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How about I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness? Can I offer you that? Could Pastor Barry offer you that? Is there anybody that you know of who could offer you that? Life in all its fullness. And the reason for their being and coming was that you might have that life. Jesus made that claim overtly. How about I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will never die. He is saying grandiose, spectacularly megalomanic things if they are not true. And even if they are true, they are still all-powerful in their claim. And yet, how did Jesus live? Did he live like a potentate? Was he in a palace? Did he have massive armies of power? Was he like a Roman Caesar? No. 
He moved amongst the ordinary people, even relatively speaking in Israel, the more common people. The elites had no time for him. It was the elites who actually engineered his death and execution. But the humble, the ordinary, the poor, the brokenhearted, the immoral, those that were disdained, frowned upon, loved Jesus, were drawn to Jesus. He lived amongst the ordinary folk, even his birth in Bethlehem, in a stable of some sort. So humble, his lifestyle, a carpenter's son, and then living very modestly. The birds have the, of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has nowhere to lay his head. He was buried in a borrowed grave. <laughs> Wonderfully, he only needed to borrow it for three days. How do you add up the power of all that Jesus said and did and his ultimate gift to be a savior. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There, God speaking to us via that angel who is giving Joseph these instructions. Call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do for you and for me. Because in that gift of forgiveness is the possibility of spending eternity in heaven with him, the Lord Jesus, who said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be as well. But in preparing that place for us, he went to the cross and bore our sins. Isn't it staggering? I feel I have to get from behind the pulpit and say this. Isn't it staggering that worldwide we celebrate the birth of Jesus by having the remembrance of his death day on the cross with Holy Communion? Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? A vast contradiction. We're going to celebrate his being born by celebrating his dying? Yes, because he was born to become the savior of the world by dying on the cross so that we might be forgiven. That is a miracle that God Almighty can forgive you, the stuff of your life, the shame, the guilt, and the judgment it all deserves you might be forgiven through this one man, Jesus. The reason he had to be born of a virgin, i.e. born of the Holy Spirit. Listen very carefully. This is just not incidental, but theology that springs out of the virgin birth. Born of the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Spirit of God in the womb of Mary, 
very God as well as being very man, really God as well as being really human. And he lived as a human with the power of God evidenced in his life, evidenced in his words, evidenced in his humility of laying down his life on the cross so that even as he was going through the battle of that in his soul, remonstrating with his father, is there some way that this cup can pass from me that I do not have to die on the cross, that I don't have to go through with this? Not just the physical agony and pain, but the hell he went through. Jesus went through hell on the cross, bearing our sins, everything we deserve, the guilt. No wonder he cried from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was God forsaken, Father forsaken, because he now was bearing in his body on the cross all the filth and garbage of this wicked, wicked world. My wickedness included and yours. You will call his name Jesus? That is no mere name. It's Savior, because he will save from their sins. That's a miracle. Just to put the final drama that in the prophecy from Isaiah, he would be called also Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And the God who was in Christ was absolutely perfect. The scripture says of Jesus, and this is the reason he needed to be born God in the flesh of the Holy Spirit is so that he would be a perfect offering for the sins of the world without blemish, without sin that was his own. He was without sin, says the scripture, but he was made sin with our sin so that we might be given the righteousness of God through faith and the forgiveness that comes through trusting ourselves to Christ. That's why the virgin birth and the miracle of it. Perfection had to be offered in the sacrifice. And Jesus offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, says the scripture. I want to close with this letter that I have here. Just as I received it on this yellow lined note paper. Dear Father John, I am 35, female. I am single through separation. I am the mother of four children. I have lost two children. I have lost my home. I have lost my car. I am not close to my mother or sister or brother or father. I have lost my husband. I have recently moved 3,000 miles, that's from the West Coast to Pittsburgh, from friends and my two children are seldom with me as I work long hours. I am usually very short-tempered with them. I have gained too much weight. 
My whole self is ugly. I find little reason to live my life. If I could, I would give every workable part of my body to some needy person just to guarantee my certain death, as my life has such little reason for me to live. I'd give my two beautiful children to somebody who prays for a son or daughter. Everything I have has been taken from me. Everything I've loved or cared about or wanted or worked hard for, I'll die and no one will come to my grave. I am alone, but I have one thing, a mustard seed of faith, and that will turn my scars into stars. And it keeps me going because you talk about reconciliation, harmony, love, faith, and Jesus loves me, underlined. The me, Jesus loves me. And then she writes this, please pray for me, that my family might be reconciled and have harmony, love, and faith. Sincerely, I thank you for these things. Signed, someone who hears what you communicate. I sit there in church every Sunday that someone will give me a ride. Following Sunday from reading this, receiving this letter, I took it to the pulpit and read it out loud and said, if you are this woman, you come and speak to me afterwards. And she was there and she did. And the miracle of what God did in her life was overwhelming. She was reconciled to her dad, who I went to see, who was dying in the hospital, prayed with him, and he asked the Lord Jesus into his life that he might be forgiven, and I baptized him right there in his hospital bed with water that I'd actually brought back from the Holy Land. A transformed family at the heart of it for this young lady with her dad coming to Christ before he died and there being healed in their relationship. And the beginning of a new life for this young lady. Do you know the miracle of that? One or two of you are sitting with that kind of despair here this morning. What your life has been. Or you certainly know someone like it. Because divorce is so rampant the kind of despair that follows so devastating. It's happened in my family. The miracle of God with us, with us in Jesus to forgive, to remake is a miracle. Part of the grand miracle of Jesus coming to earth, which we celebrate today. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. We're going to be coming to the Lord's table. Pastor Barry has explained how that will work for you. If you are that one person 
as you come, bring yourself to Jesus. If you're able to kneel, and as you receive the bread and the wine, see beyond those elements, Jesus standing there looking at you, loving you, reaching out to you with hands that are pierced, scarred because of his love for you. And just give yourself to him. Surrender to him. For most of you, that will be a re-surrender. Choosing one more time to say, here I am, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. Fill me with yourself, with your forgiveness. Give me that life that is overwhelmingly fulfilling, that I might experience the joy of this morning and my salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus.